You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. Those of you who are watching us online, thank you for inviting us into your home. And those of you who are first-time guests, we want to welcome you here today. My name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here at Scotts Hill, and we are happy to have you today. Um, as I talk about first-time guests, I'm, I'm reminded of a story of this, this teenage boy who was in high school, and he developed some friendships at school, and he, he wanted to invite one of his friends to his church one Sunday. So he invited his friend. He said, I want you to come to church with me. And his friend said, look, I've never been to church before in my life. I have never stepped foot on a church campus. I don't even know what happens. He said, great. I just want you to come with me and be my guest. So this teenager shows up with his teenager friend and they show up at church and everybody's gathering, they're seated together. The buzz is happening like what was in this room, people meeting one another and then the music starts. A guy walks on the platform and he begins reading some passages and the, and the young boy looks at him, he says, who is that and what is, what is he reading from? He said, well, that's one of our pastors and he is actually reading scriptures from the Bible. You're gonna hear a lot of scriptures today as you hear. He said, okay, cool. They sing a couple of songs and then another guy comes up and he starts making announcements. He said, what is that all about? He said, well, we don't just meet on Sundays. We have all kinds of ministry events through the course of the week and we do all kinds of things for children, for teenagers. We reach out in our community. He said, oh, that's cool, that's cool. That's good to know. And so the service continues on and guy comes up, he has a prayer and they start taking up an offering. And he says, well, what is that all about? Obviously, it was pre-COVID. And so he takes up this offering and he says, what are they doing? He says, well, they're collecting money. And we give as members of this church to supply all of the ministries and help pay the, the salaries of all of our staff. He goes, oh, okay. And then after that, somebody water, walks into the waters of baptism. And they got somebody there and they put the guy on the water and he says, man, what is all that about? He said, well, this is a person who surrendered their life to faith in Christ. And what they've done is they put them underwater. It's symbolic. It's a picture that the old person has died. There's a new person living for Jesus. He said, oh, okay, a little bit weird, but okay, I get it. I get it. And then everything settles down. The pastor walks up on the platform. He's got his podium in front of him. He puts his Bible, puts his notes. Then he takes off his watch. And he puts his watch right in the middle of the podium so he can keep track of the time. The young man looks over and said, who is that? He says, that's the pastor. He's going to be speaking to us today. He said, why did he take his watch off? What does it mean that he took his watch off? He said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> he said, we're in for a long haul today. Now, I don't wear a watch. I don't have a clock behind me. The clock up on the wall is broken. Uh, no, it is actually working. Uh, and I don't need a watch because when I watch you, you tell me what time it is every Sunday. <laughs> and, I, and, and every good communicator knows that there's some important aspects of every sermon. One is always the introduction because you've got to have an intention-getting segment where people can get connected and engage with you. Then there's the strong body that you want to present, which is going to be truth. But then there's always the conclusion, which means every good communicator knows when to land the plane. 
He knows when it's time to tie the net or draw the net. And we have been in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest sermons ever preached by the Lord Jesus himself. And we have been looking for the last eight weeks at chapters five, six, and seven. And now we're coming to the conclusion of Jesus' sermon. And as we come to the conclusion of the sermon, he is a master communicator. He knows how to draw people in. He knows how to engage them, but he also knows when to draw the net. He knows when to bring it to a conclusion. And today we're coming to the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles or you have devices, open them, turn to them to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 13 and we're going to go to verse 23 today. And what Jesus is doing is he is bringing this sermon to a conclusion. Let me tell you what Jesus is not content with. He is not content about just giving information to people and then walk away. Jesus is not content with giving inspiration to people so that they can feel better about themselves. Jesus is concerned about transformation. He's concerned about his word. He's concerned about the work of the spirit of God changing people's lives from the inside out. And because he is not content with just giving information and people walking away, he brings people to forced to be able to make a choice. And in this passage today, as he's closing it out, he's talking to all the people who are listening helping them to understand that every one of us has a final destiny at the end of our life. And when we step into eternity, he is telling them that there are two paths that you're going to travel by, which will produce two kinds of fruit, which will produce one of two kinds of professions, which will lead to one of two kinds of proclamations. And they all flow from the path that you begin And when Jesus is winding up this message, he reminds all of his crowd that there are only two kinds of people that are listening. And today, those who are in this room and those who are watching online, those who are in the Crosspoint Center, there are only two kinds of people in all of humanity. And they will fit into one of these two categories. So today he he gives us a contrast of a number of twos as we're going to look at this. Let's pray together and we'll jump right in to verse 13. Father, thank you for your word. I ask that you would speak to our hearts today. Challenge us. Father, change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The first contrast he lays out for us are two paths. There are only two paths. Now, we like to think that there are more options for us. As a matter of fact, we like options. But Jesus says there are only two paths. In verses 13 to 14, he puts it this way. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, you've heard this passage probably most of your life. You've always heard this, and people always like to talk about the straight and the narrow. And they use that in terms of something changing in their life. Maybe, maybe a person uses it because, and, and you've heard it in this way, that you know what, I, I've got some addiction issues in my life, but I'm straightening them now, and now I'm walking down the straight and the narrow. 
Or a person might say, I've got some relational issues that I've had to deal with, but I've got them settled out and I'm walking down the straight and the narrow. Or you might hear a person that says, I've been a cat lover all my life. I've converted to being a dog lover. Now I'm walking down the straight and the narrow. But the thing is this, Jesus never uses the word straight because the path is anything but straight. But what he is showing us here is the way the world views this is totally different than what he himself is saying. Many believers even use this out of context. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying there are two paths. There's the worldly path and then there's the kingdom path. And he makes a contrast between the two. And so let's look at the world's path. The world's path, first of all, is easy. He says it's easy. It's broad, it's wide, it's easy to find. The world's path is the path that has no restrictions, it has no regulations, it has no rules. On the world's path, you can bring everything with you because it's broad and it's wide. All of your possessions, all of your ambitions, all of your goals, your lifestyle, whatever you want, you bring it with you. And there are no restrictions. There are no curbs. There are no guardrails on the world's path. In fact, you be you on the world's path. You do whatever you want to do. You live in complete freedom. You have no restrictions. There are no no trespassing signs on the world's path. Matter of fact, the world's path is so easy because it is the natural inclination of every human heart is to be our own God and to do what we want to do without anyone telling us otherwise. The world's path is easy, but secondly, the world's path is inclusive. It's inclusive. Inclusive means this. It means there are many ways to get to heaven. There are many ways to find eternal life. And inclusivity means that everything counts. It doesn't matter what you believe, who you worship. Ultimately, all roads are going to lead to heaven. You remember the bumper sticker that was around for several years and people still have it. It's called Coexist. And it's all the different symbols of all the world religions. And they spell the word Coexist. That is not so much about an issue of unity as much as it is about eternal life. All roads lead to heaven. And on the world's path, it doesn't matter what you believe, just so you're sincere. But the problem is you can be sincerely wrong. And so it's inclusive. But here's the third thing it is. It's very popular. Oh, it's popular. It's easy to find. It's broad. Jesus says many will find it. Matter of fact, a majority of people on this planet are living by the world's path. They have no restrictions, no guardrails in their lives. They're doing whatever they want and they are happy about it. And it's popular because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. You hear it in social media. You hear it in movies. You hear it in music. We see it in advertising. We see it everywhere we go, from schools to universities, even into churches because it's so popular, because it's so easy, and it's so filled with fun. But here's the fourth thing about it. It's destructive. Those who take the world's path are having the time of this life, but there comes a point when they step into eternity. And the word destructive there 
literally means the perishing of a soul. Jesus told his disciples, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? And the people who live on the world's path are those who are heading into destruction. They don't even know it. They're partying, they're laughing, they're having a great time all the way to an eternity separated from God. And that is the end path for every person who walks on the world's path. Several years ago, actually it was 2002, I had the opportunity to go to Africa. And while I was in Africa, we did a lot of mission work and some work in some orphanages. We had the opportunity to go to one of those picture safaris. I didn't take my rifle or anything. I had my, my camera. And we went on the Massamara. And the Massamara was a phenomenal thing. But one of the things that was happening at that time was the migration of the wildebeest. And I just want to tell you, wildebeest are stupid. They, 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 they just follow whatever's in front of them. And while we're out there, thousands upon thousands of wildebeest just moving and running. And one goes this way, they all go that way. One goes that way, they all go that way. Well, they're all running towards this river. And they're going to cross the river. And it is a giant bank, probably as high as the balcony is to the floor. And we were there parked watching them. And at the bottom of that cliff, at the edge of the river, were the biggest reptiles I've ever seen in my life, crocodiles. Some of them are 20 feet long. And they are waiting on the edge for these stupid wildebeest to run over the cliff. And the first ones, they come right up to the edge and they're looking, looking, looking. And then the crowd just builds up so big and they're pushing. Then all of a sudden, one falls. Then every one of them follow jumping headlong into that water and crocodiles having a frenzy. That's the picture of the world. And Jesus is saying very clearly, when you follow the path of the world, then you're going to find yourself ultimately in that destructive place. Now, here's the breakdown on that. Some of the wildebeest escape those crocodiles. Not one person following the path of the world will escape. There's no way out. And Jesus paints the picture for those who are pursuing the wide path. There is destruction. But then he makes the contrast and he gives us the kingdom's path. He says, it's hard. The kingdom's path is hard. Why? Because it's restricted. It's not broad and open like the world where you can bring everything and everybody with you. Get in your mind this. The gateway to the kingdom is like a turnstile where only one person can go through at a time. You can't bring your whole family. It's an individual relationship with Jesus that gets you into the kingdom. And it's one by one. And you can't bring everything of the world with you. You cannot bring all of your possessions. You cannot bring all of your goals, all of your desires, all of your sinful lifestyle. Every bit of it has to be left behind. So it's restrictive. It's tight. And there are guardrails, which is known as the word of God, which guides us to live the kind of life that pleases the heart of Almighty God. It's hard. It's also hard because there's persecution there's suffering, there's difficulty. It's not easy when you're walking the path of the kingdom. Here's the second thing. It's not, it is exclusive. It is exclusive. There's only one way in. There's only one gate, there's one door. His name is Jesus. 
He is the only one. He is the only way by which we may be saved. Now, I want you to know the world hates that. The world hates exclusivity because it seems like you're leaving somebody out. Matter of fact, I would challenge you to do this. If you're watching some award show on television or some sporting event and somebody comes at the end of these and say, hey, I want to thank God for what, how he's blessed me. Nobody's offended by that because God is an innocuous term today in our culture. But if you get a person that comes up on an award show or a sporting event and they say, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then the networks don't know what to do with that. And they want to shut you down. Why? It's exclusive. Jesus says, I am. He didn't say, I am one of the ways. Or I am the best way. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's very exclusive. And here's a third thing. Oh, it's unpopular. It's unpopular. It is unpopular to live the way of the kingdom. It's unpopular to the world. It's unpopular because you will be mistreated, misjudged. You will be um, in some difficult situations, maybe even persecution. Because the world doesn't like that kind of restricted lifestyle. And here's the last thing. It is life-giving. It is life-giving. At the end of it is eternal life with Jesus Christ. So you've got the way of the world and you've got the way of the kingdom. And every one of us is traveling on this path. Here's the question we have to ask. Did your profession in Jesus cost you anything? That's That's how you determine which path you're on. You see, the reality of this, if you're traveling the way of the world, you can bring everything with you and you surrender nothing. But when you live the way of the kingdom, it costs you your life. You die to him. It costs you every ambition and goal because you submit to him as Lord and Savior. And following Jesus has a cost. Now, a lot of times when we think of the the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, that those two are actually kind of running parallel side by side. One's going this way, one's going that way. That's really not the picture. Let me help you see what the real picture is. It is the kingdom of the world and right smack dab in the middle of it is the path of heaven going against the grain. And that's why it's tough because you are walking against every single thing the world hates. And as you pursue it and continue to move in that direction, it is a difficult path, but it's the only path that has life eternal. So Jesus asked us the question, does your profession of faith in him cost you anything? If you're able to take everything with you and you're saying that I'm on the road to heaven, but there's no sacrifice, there's no dying to self, there's no surrender to him, You have no reason to believe that you're on the right path. But it's only when we are dying to ourselves and walking in obedience to him that we can know, hey, I'm on the road to heaven. So Jesus says there are two paths. But then the second thing he says is this, there are two products. There are two products. 
There are two kinds of things that are produced, one or the other, determined by the path that I'm living on. In verse 15, he says this. He says, beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous ravenous wolves. He's saying that there will be false teachers. There will be false prophets. He assumes that. The apostle Paul is speaking to the elders in in, in the book of Acts chapter 20. He's telling them in that passage, watch out for wolves that come in sheep's clothing. They are there. A false prophet is someone who says that they speak on behalf of God, but they don't. The word false is pseudo in the Greek, which means a liar. And so those who say, they're saying they speak on behalf of God, but they really don't. That's in the official sense. In the general sense, that means this. These are people who say they love Jesus, but they don't have the marks and the fruit that demonstrate that they are his. And so they produce a different kind of fruit. And Jesus shifts metaphors now in verses 16 through 20. He says, you will recognize these false prophets, these false believers by their fruits. Then he asks some questions. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Of course not. Are figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. If it's healthy, it's good fruit. If it's diseased, it's bad fruit. Then he goes on. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now notice Jesus says you'll recognize them. He didn't say you're going to judge them. You will see them by their fruits. And there are two kinds of people. Let's look at the first one. A false believer. A false believer cannot produce spiritual fruit because his heart is diseased by sin and his future is destruction. A false believer cannot produce spiritual fruit because it requires a spiritual heart transplant. Now, it's, this is not easy to detect. It takes a lot of time to watch people's lives, but ultimately, when you follow the fruit, you will determine who they are. If they're producing fruit of the world, then you will know they're on the worldly path. If they're producing fruit of the spirit, then you will know they belong to Christ. But it is not for us to judge. It is for us to observe and to watch. Jesus paints a beautiful picture of this in Matthew chapter 13 of the sower and the seeds. And it's it's a parable about a sower going out and he throws seeds and some of the seeds fall on rocky soil and the birds come and snatch them up immediately. Some fall in shallow soil. They spring up immediately, but the heat of the sun kills them and they wither and they die. Others fall on soil that's good and they begin to grow and they look like they've got all this life, but then all the worries of the world, the weeds come and choke them out. And the fourth seed falls on good soil that produces 30, 60, 100 fold. Of all of those seeds, the seed is the gospel. Of all of the soils, there's only one that produces fruit. And there's only one that demonstrates that it's true. And it's a true believer. Having pastored a church for 29 years, the same church, I'm afforded to see a lot of things. And during my 29 years here, I have seen some seeds fall on rocky soil. And people come in and they immediately reject the gospel. They walk out 
and you know where they belong. You know which path they're following. And then there's some who accept the message of the gospel and they seem to spring forth really quickly. They're excited about it, but all of a sudden that excitement just pales, falls away and they're back living in the things of the world, don't care about the things of God. And then there are those who come into the life of the church and they get emotional. They get all excited about it. They hear the message of the gospel. Men, they're so excited that they, they pray this prayer to give their lives to Jesus. And then they get involved in the life of the church and they're serving and they're doing everything. In worship times, they're raising their hands. They're worshiping the Lord. They're filled with all kind of emotion. They go for years like that. But then something happens, either success or difficulty or pain and suffering, and then they walk away from it. And you never see them again. And they never come back to the life of the church and they don't care about the things of God and they've never produced spiritual fruit. And you recognize those are people who are holding to something that's not a reality in their life. I've seen it. And I've seen so many people through that time that when you run into them outside of the church, oh yeah, yeah, I still believe, but you know, I'm not interested in that anymore. It's my family, it's my career, it's my job. And those are individuals who demonstrate that something is wrong and they've walked away from the very things that demonstrate obedience and transformation. Those are false believers. And John says this, they've gone out from us because they are not of us. And that's a hard thing to see. But then Jesus gives the contrast. He says a true believer produces spiritual fruit out of a transformed heart and his future is life. How do you know a true believer? There's a change in the heart. There's not just a change in external behavior. It's not just a change in my emotions. There's a change in my heart and I'm an altogether new kind of person. My conduct has changed. My, 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 my character has changed. My convictions are changed. And it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you're flawed human being who's been saved by the grace of God, but the overwhelming passion of your life is still year after year after year to please the Lord Jesus and to walk with him with all of my heart. And there is a mark of transformation in spiritual fruit. Love, joy, peace. That's in my relationship with God. Patience, kindness, gentleness. That's in my relationship with other people. Faithfulness uh, um, and self-control is my relationship with myself. And so those are the fruits of the Spirit. And a person who's been genuinely saved is a person who continues to have a passion for Christ, even in the struggles of life and the difficulties, and they're producing the kind of fruit that you see in their life that is honoring the Christ and is a picture of what God is doing. As I said, being here 29 years affords me to see all kinds of things. And I can tell you story after story after story of the transformation of people's lives, many of you in this room. That has just been amazing. I think of Robert Salvi, uh, ex-Hales Angel biker who gets saved and then went back to the rallies with his Bibles and his tracks to tell all of his Hales Angels buddies about Jesus. I think of Carl Davis, 
who was in this church for a long time and he had a, a, needed a heart transplant, a physical heart transplant, but he loved golf and every Sunday he played golf and I witnessed to him for years and years and years. And then one Sunday in the men's restroom right back there, men be careful when you go to the bathroom when I'm there. So he goes in that bathroom and uh, I said, Carl, how's your heart? He said, oh, I'm still waiting. No, how's your spiritual heart? He just broke down and started weeping. And his wife was waiting for him in the foyer. I come out. She says, is Carl okay? I said, oh, he's better than he's ever been. He gave his life to Christ today. Carl got a heart transplant. He got a spiritual heart transplant. When he died, he preached his own funeral because we had videoed and recorded his testimony of how God radically changed his life. And at his funeral, he preached to people about Jesus. I could tell you about a stripper who came here because of her friends invited her to church. And she gave her life to faith in Christ, went on to seminary, got a bachelor's, uh, bachelor's degree, then got her master's degree, went on to work, got her PhD, and has been leading one of the leading lifeline pregnancy centers in the state of North Carolina. I could tell you story after story after story. And what's the difference? It's the path. It's the fruit. So the question is this. Did your profession in Jesus change your life? A lot of people will tell me, oh, I love Jesus, but did your life change? I prayed to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but did your life change? Is there marks of transformation in your life? Can you go back and say, wow, God has radically changed my character. He's changed my conduct. He's changed my convictions. And as a result of that, all I want to do is please him. I fail miserably at times. But the desire of my heart is that I pursue him and please him with all that is in me. So what does Jesus say? He says, there's two paths. He says, there are two products. But then he comes to the third one. There are two professions. There are two kinds of professions. Jesus takes his listeners now to the day when they stand before him. And there are going to be two kinds of professions that are going to be made in the presence of Jesus one day. Here's how he says it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? There's going to be a day where every single one of us without fail is going to have that final destiny. We're going to stand before Almighty God face to face and there will be nowhere to hide. There are no loopholes. And when we stand there, there may be different professions. And Jesus says there are going to be two professions. They're going to be those from the false believer. And the false believer stands on works without obedience. He's not worried about the obedience, it's the works. But Jesus, didn't I do this in your name? Hey, 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 I, I proclaimed in your name. I prophesied in your name. That sounds pretty powerful, doesn't it? These were people who prophesied, which means they proclaimed. They spoke forth the word of God in the name of Jesus. They preached, they witnessed to people. Not only did they prophesy, they said, we cast out demons, which means, hey, they had some kind of spiritual authority here. And not only that, they did mighty works. Jesus doesn't specify what the mighty works were, but they were probably miraculous things that they were involved in. 
And because they were only concerned about the external works of their life, and there's been no measure of obedience to him as Lord, as Savior, they neither submitted to him nor surrendered to him. But they just did these external things. I worked in the church. I taught a Sunday school class. I went on a junior high retreat. Anyone that does that should deserve heaven. (laughs) I've done all these things. But it was all based on what they could do in their own strength with an unchanged heart for their own glory. Think of Judas. Judas with the 11. He went and preached. Judas went out and cast out demons. Judas went out and saw the mighty works of God, but he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and refused to submit to him as Lord and Savior. And he ended up hanging himself. You see, some people like the notoriety of being around Jesus. Some people like the fame that may come with Jesus, but they never come to the place where they surrender to him. And on that day, They're going to try to defend themselves from their works without obedience. But here's a contrast. The true believer stands on obedience that flows into works. You see, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, the one who is walking obediently before me, And obedience must precede works because it is my obedience that blesses the heart of God. My obedience and surrender to him signifies my loyalty and to his lordship. From obedience, works should flow. And that is the way it should walk. The overflow of my love for Jesus should impact others around me as I serve them. And it's always him. So here's the question. Is your profession in Jesus marked by a life of obedience that produces good works? Does your faith flow into works? Or do you find yourself trying to work to please God? You see, if you're working to please God, then you're working in your own flesh and not living by the grace of God. Jesus says there are two paths, there are two products, there are two professions. Here's the last one. There are two proclamations. And these proclamations are from Jesus himself. It's what he says. So what does he say on that day, verse 23? And then I will declare to them, speaking of the false believers, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those are the scariest, most terrifying words that any human being will ever hear. Living your whole life, thinking you're in good standing with God, while you've never surrendered, you've never submitted, and on that day, that day, you stand before him, and he says to you, I am never knew you. It's not that Jesus is saying, I didn't know your name. He knows your name and my name for sure. I never knew you is speaking of the reality 
that he never had a personal relationship with you through your surrender to him as Lord and Savior. Then he says, depart from me, workers of iniquity or lawlessness. I can't imagine anything more scary than that. And the word no in the Greek and in the Hebrew refers to an intimate relationship with someone. I've never known you intimately. Oh, I know you. I created you. I know your life. I've seen all your days before you're one day old. But I've never known you to surrender to me. I've never known you to love me. I've never known you to submit to me. I've never known you to trust me. Depart from me. Wow. Then there's the other proclamation. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, Jesus tells a parable of a good servant who is faithful to his master. And it says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done. Good job. Way to go. I'm so proud of you. And because of what you've done, my heart is overflowing with joy that you will be with me forever. What a difference. Depart from me, for I never knew you. Well done. Well done. We all want to hear well done. But the reality is some of us will hear depart. Some of us will hear well done. Here's the question. What will Jesus say to you? What would Jesus say to you? The answer is simple. What path are you on? Do you find yourself on the world's path Living for yourself, for your goals, for your objectives, caring nothing about the heart or the things of God. And you're pursuing life on your own terms and you're going to work it out. And you're hoping that your good simply outweighs your bad. And one day, it'll all be good. If you're on the world's path, my friend, you are not destined to hear well done. If you're a believer, you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And even with your flaws and your weaknesses and your failures, because we all have them, but the goal of your heart is to please the Lord Jesus. And then one day we can stand in the confidence of God's word and the certainty of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, helping us to understand that he will say, well done. Sometimes we don't feel well done, do we? We don't, I don't. But in Christ, I am secure forever. And I know that I will hear, well done. And let me tell you, if you're a believer, you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you stand before him on that day, he's not going to look at you and roll his eyes and say, oh, it's you. No. Because you belong to him. Your heart has been transformed. You are are his forever. 
So believer, let me ask this. Those of you who are children of God, your lives have been transformed. Are you enticed by the path of the world? Stay on the path of Christ. Continue on that. Submit to him. Serve him. Honor him. And let the Holy Spirit build the fruit in you that will glorify him and give a testimony to people watching your life that you belong to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, maybe you've been listening to a lot of different messages, you've been coming here and you've heard a lot about Christ and and, and you've been learning some truth, the Holy Spirit's been working in your heart and your mind. And today, Jesus is calling you to full Surrender. I mean, as our teenagers say, full send. All the way. Coming to surrender to Christ. And if you know this morning that you have been following the way of the world, but the Lord is calling you today to the way of the kingdom, that he's calling you to surrender to him. Surrender your life to him as Lord and Savior. Ask him to transform your heart from the inside out and that you make a commitment from this day on to follow Jesus with everything in you. And he will set you on that path. And on that path of hearing, well done. Well done. I think for believers, it's an opportunity for us to question how easily it is for us to be attracted to the wrong things, but come back to pleasing the heart of Christ. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, who have never surrendered your life to Christ, or maybe you think that you have, but the signs have demonstrated that you're not, he's calling you to full surrender today. I'm gonna ask our band to come on the stage. We're going to close with a song and we're going to do something this morning that we don't always do. But I really felt that Jesus drawing the net is drawing the net here too. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Just you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus. The person sitting next to you is not even there. You and Christ. Believers first, is there something in your life that is keeping you from the deeper relationship with God that you need to repent of and confess and release today? Do that right now, right now. For those of you who have never trusted Christ, but this morning, the Spirit of God has brought a conviction in your heart. And you know it's true. It's right. And God is calling by his gracious kindness.
and is leading you to repentance today. If you've never received the Lord, but today you are willing to surrender everything and enter the narrow gate of Jesus, then just pray this prayer to yourself, not out loud. Just say, dear God, I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. And I know that I am on a path of destruction. I see it clearly. But I believe Jesus is your son. He's the only way for me to have a relationship with you. He's the only one who can forgive me of my sins and give me eternal life. Right now, I submit myself to you. I surrender to you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to come and give me a new heart. Fill me with your spirit as I seek to live the rest of my days for your glory and for your honor. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. And beginning today, I submit all of my life to you in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold this morning. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, with your heads bowed, heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you just lift your hand? This morning, I surrendered everything. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for those who have responded this morning. Thank you for your kindness. And I ask, Father, that you would be honored and glorified today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.